when I had my daughter, I said, okay, here's the plan. We are going to, we're going to work hard. We're going to really, really grind. And then at some point, you know, before you're five, and I'm telling her this, before you go to kindergarten, I'm going to have my own business. And that, you know, that was my plan. And so what I did is I would get up at four in the morning. You know, I got, I remember I, when I got my, my very first client <laughs> and it wasn't a ton of money, but I was so excited because I said, I'm, I'm on the path. I am on the path to where I want to go. And I would get up at four in the morning and I would work for maybe four until six. And then I would wake my daughter up and I would get her dressed. I would take her to school and then I would go to work. And then when I came home, you know, I would feed her, play with her, put her to sleep, and then I'd get back on the computer and maybe work from, you know, from eight until 11. And then I would do it over again. And then every Saturday, every Saturday, I would hire a babysitter. My babysitter would come and I would spend Saturday mornings uh, working on my business. I did this all of 2017. I had my daughter in March of 2017. I probably started my business in August. So I did it the last quarter of 2017. I did it all of 2018. And I just, I, I kept getting calls. And then the people who I was working with, they would refer me to other people. By the end of 2018, I had earned enough on my side hustle. I had earned as much on my side hustle as I was making in my full-time job. All right, welcome to The Path Distilled. I'm your host, Kevin Harris. Uh, my co-host is Lauren Tashman. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show today. And I'm so excited today to have Jennifer R. Farmer. She's known as the PR Whisperer. She has, uh, she's an author, PR guru, one book already out, and she has another one coming out. So Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, and I'm happy to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about who you are, a little bit about those books you've written, and uh, anything else you want to share with the listener up front? Sure. So I, I'm, I'm known as the, the PR whisperer, and part of that is because I've spent most of my career working on behalf of social justice organizations and helping to ensure that their message was communicated to the world, uh, to the media, and also to people who care about those respective audiences. So I've been doing this work probably for about 18 years. And after 15 years, I thought, okay, you've had some pretty incredible experiences and you've learned a ton throughout your journey. Why not document it in a book? So I wrote Extraordinary PR, Ordinary Budget, and that was published in 2017 by Barrett Kohler Publishers. And that really was a case study of some of the lessons I learned throughout my PR journey in terms of uh, how to take an issue that is relatively obscure and bring it and push it to national attention. A lot of the work that I'm doing now, in addition to public relations, is really shining a spotlight on what uh, women of color, specifically black women experience when they show up in workspaces as either uh, the first person in their family or the first person in their community to have held that kind of role or the only black person in an environment. So I wrote a book called First and Only, a Black Woman's Guide to Thriving at Work and in Life. And that's going to come out in February 2021. And I'm super, super excited about, about that work as well. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, so can you take us back to your origin story? Uh, how did you first get involved in the work that you do? So, you know, as as a person, I, I grew up, uh, I grew up in poverty, and I grew up watching people struggle, and watching my family struggle and watching the people around me struggle. And as a result of that, somehow I developed uh, a passion for for justice. Uh, my father always told me to be fair, you know, and everything that you do, be fair. So that was the guidance I got from my father. My mother always said, put God first. And those two, um, very, very simple, but I took them to heart. And so throughout my life, I have tried to be fair with the people who I interact with. And when I have seen that people are not treated fairly, I have tried to advocate on their behalf. And there are a lot of different tools that you do that. You know, in today's day and age, a lot of people are talking about grassroots organizing and the work that organizers do to bring issues that are on the sidelines to the mainstream. One of the best organizing tools that I can think of is strategic communications and public relations. I believe that there are not enough companies that are committed to doing good, even when no one is looking. And so I kind of view uh, public relations as a tool that can promote accountability, that can increase awareness. And one of the ways that I got started is, uh, is working for uh, Lutheran Social Services of Central Ohio. And I was doing marketing and public relations work for them. They had a food pantry, they had uh, assisted living facilities, nursing homes, and they really wanted to do good. And so when they hired me, I said, okay, well, here's an opportunity to use this skill set to help people who are truly in need. And so that's what I did. Um, from there, I went to work for a labor union and I worked with, um, my territory was Ohio, Kentucky, and West Virginia. And I worked with really beautiful people and all they wanted to do was to be able to take care of themselves, their communities, and the people they serve through their nursing home, through their hospital, through their library. And again, communications was a way that I could help them share information about their work, about their experience, also about their injustices. So those positions kind of started me on this path to, um, to using public, uh, public relations to support others. Wow. And so do you think those early experiences uh, when you were young, really set the stage for the work you did later in life? Absolutely, absolutely. I say that, you know, when it comes to public relations, I cut my teeth working for a labor union. And one of the reasons that I say that is because when you are helping tell the story of people whose very existence depends on whether or not they're in a safe environment, you know, a safe working environment, whether or not they're earning enough to, to do what they need to do, there's a lot of pressure to, to succeed. There's a lot of, there's a sense of urgency. There's a sense that if you don't make one more call, you know, someone's not going to get what they need. And so I, um, I learned a lot about public relations during that time. I learned a lot about how it impacted the lives of everyday people. And there was a sense of accountability that I learned during that experience. I mean, at that point, the union had maybe 30,000 members, and it was not uncommon for me as the communications director to get a call from members, you know, saying, hey, what are you doing to tell our story? Or, you know, we saw this article, we saw you quoted, 
Uh, you know, we think that you missed a part of it and we think this is what you should be pushing. So those experiences were really instrumental in helping me think about how to hone a craft and how to use it for the benefit of, of others. And so you've worked with uh, some people um, in, I guess, the legislature of Ohio as well. Uh, did that come later or was that before? That was actually before. Okay. So my first job, one of my first jobs out of college was working for the Franklin County Clerk of Courts. Uh, and I was working in a Republican administration and, and I was verifying arrest warrants. <laughs> so that was, you know, that was my job. Deputies would call in and at that point you were in a room and there were all these filing cabinets. They would give you a case number or a name. You would pull the file and you would let the deputy know whether or not that person had an outstanding warrant. And so that started my career. That was my very first job out of college. When I left there, um, I eventually made my way to the Ohio House of Representatives and I worked as an administrative aide. So I have worked as in the Ohio House of Representatives and the Ohio Senate, and then also in uh, for the former governor of Ohio, Ted Strickland. My career, if you look at my career, I've only done strategic communications and politics with the bulk of it being strategic communications. And so when did you start realizing that you were really good at this? And that might be a weird question, but. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Sometimes people will tell you, you, sometimes you can just go about, you know, your life and you do things that you like, and then you will get feedback from others. And I was, I remember I was working for Mark Mallory. And at the time he was a state Senator. He eventually went on to become mayor of Cincinnati and he loved my writing and he would always compliment me on my writing. And I didn't really think anything of it. And he would, you know, he really, he really helped me to believe that I had a gift where, where writing was concerned. And so he continued to plant those seeds. And I don't think he, he knew that he was planting seeds. He was just making an observation. And the more he said it, the more I said, okay, well, maybe I am good and maybe I should invest here. And then I noticed that uh, when I went to work for Lutheran Social Services, they would compliment me as well. For me, what I have found throughout my career is the things that I feel deeply about, that I feel passionate about, you know, that sense of justice that we talked about earlier, those are the areas that I tend to excel. And so going about my life trying to do good and trying to be fair, it is very easy to take that underlying commitment, that personal value, and work in that area and then to see fruits. So the first person who really said, you know, you're a really good writer was Senator Mallory, formerly Mayor Mallory. And so did it take you some time to uh, start buying into that? Or did you, uh, I mean, what was the process like? Were you doubting yourself at any point? It, it's funny. I think, I think whenever you've worked in an area for any length of time, you know, you'd be lying. I'd be lying if I didn't say that I, you know, that I didn't doubt myself and that from time to time, I still don't question because every new experience, every experience, you know, the first time you meet that experience, you're wondering, does the skill set that I have, does it, did it prepare me for where I am? And can I have an impact? So also sometimes I compete with myself. You know, I think about, I've had a number of wonderful moments in public relations, wonderful moments. And, 
you think when you're in that moment, you think, wow, this is great. You know, am I ever going to top this? And so for me, I compete with myself. But during times, of course, I've gone through times where, where I've doubted myself. But what is amazing to me, and I'm sure your listeners can relate to this, is the standards that I have for myself are often through the roof. And I will do something for a client and I will think, oh, that's no big deal. And they will be so appreciative. And I'm thinking, okay, but I'm just doing, you know, I'm just doing a little bit. I really haven't even started to flex, you know? <laughs> so, so whenever I start to doubt, doubt myself, I do think about that feedback. And I do think about the standards that I have for myself and also what other people expect. And it's really, it's reassuring to have this experience continually where I'm thinking, okay, well, what I contributed was not great. And then clients feeling really appreciative about what I may consider to be insignificant. Okay. You Go mentioned, um, you know, early, very early on, uh, as you were talking about kind of the origin of your story, how growing up and your parents influenced you, are there any particular moments or experiences that stand out to you that really ignited uh, that, that passion that you're, you say you have? For my parents or from, or career-wise? A any, yeah, anything that, from your kind of your early, early years, early career. So I'm someone who, who I am deeply uh, empathetic and I, I remember going through, I can be moved by a, another person's story. I don't have to know the person, but if I hear their story, I can be moved. And I remember I was working for the, the labor union and there was a, we would do these quarterly meetings with the leadership team. And at that quarterly meeting, I think it was my very first quarterly meeting and we called them e-boards, which, which stood for executive boards. There were a number of uh, healthcare workers who stood up and they talked about their struggles. Here they are in the healthcare industry, and they could not afford they could not afford health insurance for themselves, for themselves. And when they stood up and shared their story, I remember being moved to tears. And I said at that point, "This is why I do what I do." And I I I, I, moved, I was moved to tears, and then I got angry, and then I said, "Okay, what can I do?" from the talents that I have, for the gifts that I've acquired, how can I use my gifts to help tell the story of healthcare workers who do not have healthcare? And so that was, you know, that was, uh, that was really memorable. When I worked for, for Mayor Mallory, he would sit all of his staff down. So this was before he would sit all of his staff down and he would give us what's called the charge. And the charge was anchoring our current work in the work of his father, who also served in, in, in the Senate, and helping us get focused on why we do what we do. And that, that was memorable. That was a memorable experience because it can be easy to go through life, to go through a job and think, okay, well, it's just a job. But every, every experience that you have can and often does prepare you for something else. And so that, those conversations were a lesson to me to take, to take things seriously and to remain anchored to to the why. So at what point in this timeline did Spotlight PR come about? For years, I thought about owning my own business and I thought about working for myself and I was I was too scared to do it. I was frightened to do it. You know, I had only worked for other people 
and I wondered, well, how do I find clients? And as 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 far back as 2008, I remember a friend saying, you know, Jennifer, you should do it. You're really good. And I said, no, you know, no, I can't do it. No. <laughs> and so I nursed this idea for a long time. In 2017, when my book came out, something surprising happened. When I wrote the book, I thought, okay, I've written this book. People will hire me to come and give speeches. And so I started, you know, looking for those opportunities. And what happened was people said, no, we want you to do it. You know, you wrote this (laughs) book on PR. We want to hire you to, to help us. And that was totally not what I expected whatsoever. I thought I would just talk about it. And so I started getting calls, you know, hey, I'm a small business owner and I really need to raise the profile of my organization. Can you help me? Or, uh, hey, I have a vision for this line of work. Can you help me? And after getting a few of those calls, and I was full, I was still full-time employed, but after getting a few of those calls, I said, okay, we might be on to something. At the same time, I had just had a baby and my second child. And I was really, really nervous about how to provide for her future and also how to be present and fully engaged with her in a way that I really, really wanted at that point in my life. And when I had my daughter, I said, okay, here's the plan. We are going to, we're gonna work hard. We're gonna really, really grind. And then at some point, you know, before you're five, and I'm telling her this, before you go to kindergarten, I'm going to have my own business. And that, you know, that was my plan. And so what I did is I would get up at four in the morning. You know, I got, I remember when I got my, my very first client (laughs) and it wasn't a ton of money, but I was so excited because I said, I'm, I'm on the path. I am on the path to where I want to go. And I would get up at four in the morning and I would work for maybe four until six. And then I would wake my daughter up and I would get her dressed. I would take her to school and then I would go to work. And then when I came home, you know, I would feed her, play with her, put her to sleep. And then I'd get back on the computer and maybe work from, you know, from eight until 11. And then I would do it over again. And then every Saturday, every Saturday, I would hire a babysitter. My babysitter would come and I would spend Saturday mornings uh, working on my business. I did this all of 2017. I had my daughter in March of 2017. I probably started my business in August. So I did it the last quarter of 2017. I did it all of 2018. And I just, I I kept getting calls. And then the people who I was working with, they would refer me to other people. By the end of 2018, I had earned enough on my side hustle. I had earned as much on my side hustle as I was making in my full-time job. Like I earned the exact same amount and I said, okay. And I, you know, I would do these, I would do these, uh, these wagers with God and I would say, okay, God, I need to make this amount of money. And so if you give me one more client and I make this amount of money, then I will quit my job and I will start my business. And I just kept, you know, I just kept putting out these wagers and, and things like that. And then it happened. And finally in February of 2019, in December of 2018, when I realized, look, you've made as much on your side gig as you have on your full-time job, it's time to quit. And so in December of 2018, I sat my boss down. I gave my boss notice. He was very, very disappointed. But as someone who was self-employed himself, he understood. 
And in February of 2019, I left my job and I've been, I've been working for myself since. Wow. Um, so putting in long hours to get it up and running, has it, um, is it everything you'd hoped it to be? Has it worked? Are you satisfied? It is. It is. And, you know, because I've been in, in public relations for so long, I knew a lot and I felt as though I had gotten to a career where I had gotten to a point where I was not learning. When I started my business, there's so much to learn from pricing appropriately, from you know knowing what to delegate and what to, to maintain, from working on your business versus in your business. So I have learned a ton and it's been it's been more than what I, I could have imagined because sometimes when you have an idea of something, you don't know what it's really like until you walk that path. And, um, and so there were a lot of things that I just could not have, I could not have uh, known until I started this journey. And so you have worked with celebrities as well as uh, activists. So perhaps both, was it surreal getting some of your, the clients oh, that you worked with? Definitely. It was very surreal, <laughs> you know, and, and most of the people who I have met, they have come through existing clients. So a lot of my business is I've worked with someone, you all hire me and then you tell your friends. And I remember, I, I like to say I'm somewhat of a square. <laughs> you know, like I'm not the most popular person at all. You know, if, if there is a party, I'm probably going to be a little bit socially awkward. <laughs> I'm going to hang out with one or two people who I feel comfortable with, and that's going to be it. And I remember one of my clients calling me and saying, hey, uh, you know, I, I, um, I have someone, I think he needs help, and I'm wondering if I can give him your number. And the client is uh, Michael Render, professionally known as Killer Mike. Yeah. And I said, uh, sure, you can you can give him my number. Why would you ask that? <laughs> and and my client said, well, I know that you're very sensitive about your number. And I said, right, but you know, you could give him my number. And for me, when I think about a client, I I, I want to help. I'm drawn to people who who uh, who need help and who are who realize they need help and who are open to feedback. And so I remember she connected us over you know over a text message, and uh, you know when we spoke. He wasn't entirely sure, and um, we agreed to we agreed to meet face to face, and then we also agreed, you know, that he had a concert coming up for his band, Run the Jewels. He said, "Well, you'll come to a concert." No, no, I'm not going to come to a concert. <laughs> it's going to be really strange for me. <laughs> I'm going to be the odd person in the corner. And uh, he said, "No, you know, you have to, you know, I, I want you to consider it." And so I said, "Okay, well, who can I get to go to the concert?" So long story short. I, me and one of my friends went to the concert. We had a ball. I mean, it was much, it was, it was so much better than what I could have imagined. And I think by the end of that week, he had hired me. And, you know, this month alone, June has just been insane in terms of some of the conversations that I've had with people who I never thought I would talk to, you know, and I, I, I'm not going to disclose it now, but I've had just some really weird wild things happen this month. And what, you know, what I, what I tell myself and the way that I ground myself in those experiences is everyone is human, regardless of how much money they have in the bank, regardless of the experiences that, that they have had, 
they're human and they want to be treated as such. And so I try to remember people's humanity and uh, I try to, to find areas where there's some relatability and then hone in on that. But I, I, I try not to put people on a pedestal. I'm very respectful of what they've accomplished, but I also want to, I want to be the person in their circle, the person in their camp who treats them like people. I want to be the person who tells them the, the truth, even if the truth is uncomfortable. Sure. And it reminds me, I've worked on a documentary project for a separate, separate project, but two things you mentioned, I noticed, um, A, they have people that are fawning over them all the time. They right. don't want that from the people in their, that they're working with. Uh, the other part is they're, most of them, many of them, celebrities that is, are as eager to help as anybody. They just, their access that they have and the thing they have to offer is sometimes much greater. So it's just, it's human nature of people wanting to help. It's just the, what they have to offer um, kind of as a magnitude is greater sometimes than what the average person might have. But yeah, it's like you said, they're just human. They're human. And I, I made a promise to myself that if you hire me, I'm going to tell you the truth. You're not going to hear it from people in the street. You're going to hear it from me. Now, whether or not you receive it is up to you, but I will not have the people who I care about, the people who, who trust me, I will not have them, you know, walking out of the restroom and their slip is showing. I'm going to find a way to tell them the truth. If you're looking for someone who's going to be a fangirl or a fanboy, that's not me. But if you want someone who's going to be respectful, but also going to tell you the hard truths that will help you improve, then, you know, I'll sign up for that any day. So are you taking new clients? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. Oh, kind of. Um, so I know you have uh, limited time, so I'm going to jump. Lauren, did you have something you wanted to? Yeah, I was just curious, you know, we're in a, obviously a very interesting time period. We've just come from an interesting time period too, with not that long ago, a focus on gender equality. Now we have, you know, a pandemic and a, a true focus, hopefully on equality and, and with the whole Black Lives Matter. So I'm curious what your experience has been like along your path of, of being a woman trying to do this, of being a Black woman trying to do this. Could you share a little bit about that with us? Sure. So, you know, as, as a, a Black person in America, you're always in, you are often in settings, probably always in settings where you are the minority in the room. And I, this commitment to justice, I have always tried to say, okay, well, what needs to be said that would not be said if I were not here? And what is my perspective as a Black woman, as a Black person, and as a woman? And so even for my friends, you know, for, um, for my white friends, I say, you know what, I'm all, we're always going to talk about, we're always going to talk about race because that's a part of my experience. And one of my girlfriends, she said, uh, you, all, you're, you all and your listeners may be familiar with Tyler Perry's character, Medea. Well, when that first came out, my friend, Amanda, we've been friends for over 20 years. Uh, she's a white woman, probably 21 years. And so when Medea came out, initially, I took Amanda to the movies and we went to see it. And years later, we, we were in a meeting together and she said something about Medea and people turned around and they said, you know about Medea? <laughs> <laughs> she said, of course I know about Medea. 
And so um, I feel like if I'm in your life, my responsibility to you, just like clients, is, is to tell the truth and to not sugarcoat any aspect of my identity. And that's what I try to bring. There are spaces where it's not wanted. And there are spaces where people, they want to understand, they just don't understand. And, um, you know, you when you get to the sense that people don't, they don't, they, they refuse to hear, they don't want to hear, you find a way to extricate yourself from those situations or to shore yourself up and guard yourself. So throughout my career, you know, I, I've never been able, nor have I wanted to divorce the fact that I'm a woman and the fact that I am, uh, that I'm, I'm Black. And one of the reasons that I wrote my book, First and Only, A Black Woman's Guide to Thriving at Work and at Life, is because throughout various experiences, I've noticed the way that, uh, that Black women can be policed over our hair, over our tone, over um, even our shape, you know? And at first I thought, well, maybe this is just something that's, that I'm getting, you know? Maybe other people are not getting. But as I started listening to other people tell their story, I said, no, this is happening a lot. And I noticed that you know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of, leader, of leadership and business and self-help. And I noticed that a lot of the books that I was getting, as remarkable as they were, they were not talking to the racism and the sexism that Black women experience. And I said, wait a minute, you know, this was a great book, but it won't prepare me for how to deal with feedback that is racialized or that is gendered. And so that's when I started, you know, writing my book because I wanted to say to Black women, I see you. I understand what you're going through. Here's how I am coping. Here's how other people are coping. And I also wanted to say to, um, to white managers, if you are looking at leadership books and your leadership books are silent on race, there's only so, you can only be so helpful and there's only so far you can take your team. And so I wanted to be able to offer something to both black women and also to managers and coworkers so that people are more aware of how they show up of the impact they're having of the things they say. Because sometimes, you know, we can make comments and not really understand how those comments impact others. Or you could say something and, and a person will have a reaction that seems to you that it's outsized. But if you don't have the context of that person's experiences, you may not understand. And so that's what I have been trying to do with, with my book. And one thing about this time is, you know, I, I've actually been surprised that I've been surprised that this moment has led to so many people really, really thinking about, about race in a way that I've not seen in, in my lifetime. And I was also surprised that I started getting notes from, um, from white colleagues and, and vendors, and that surprised me, you know? So, so I, I'm, I'm obviously sad for how we got here, but I am hopeful that people are at least starting to have a conversation again in a way that I have not seen in my life. And hopefully not just a conversation, but actual action and, and sustainable definitely. change. Yeah. yeah, definitely. So yeah. Um, so I'm looking forward to that book. I'm glad I gave uh, Lauren the floor to answer, ask that question. That's a, <laughs> um, so because we are limited on time, um, I want to switch um, years to some of the other questions we ask. What have you learned about yourself during your journey? That's a tough question. That's a tough question, Kevin. Uh, I have learned 
I, I've learned to to trust my my instinct, and I've learned to I've learned to trust myself. You know, there there are so many things in life that there are so many messages that I think women get that you know to second guess yourself. And I've learned to trust myself. I have learned that your body knows. And so sometimes the reactions that you have, mm-hmm. we can brush those reactions off and say, oh, it's nothing. Let me keep forging ahead. But sometimes those reactions are to say, no, that's not the way. Don't forge that way. I've learned that I have to be really, really intentional when I give direction to give the context for people who are working with me and not just the, the demand or the request, but to give the context behind the request. And what advice would you give an aspiring entrepreneur or even a PR specific uh, or even an activist, whichever uh, or all? One piece of advice is get as much experience as you can. When you have varied experiences in so many different areas, it makes you stronger. It makes you sharper. And so get as much experience. And the other piece is to be intentional about surrounding yourself with people who are different from you. Each difference is going to bring something in your life. You know, we can only see what we can see based on our our personal experience, our history, but then also who the people in our circle. And so I would encourage people to be intentional about ensuring that your circle is diverse in many different ways. Lauren, it looked like you were wanting to ask something every time I ask a question. <laughs> You're asking good questions, so I'm, I'm enjoying listening. Um, what do you What do you think are the keys to your success, or the the keys to how you deliver your best work for your clients? So the the keys to my success is I work really hard, you know, and. I work really hard. And uh, another key is when I, when I believe in something, I will fight like hell for it. And so that has been a key to, to my success. Another key to, to, you know, success in terms of clients. And I think it's like a sweet spot when I meet people who are open and who are, who are open to try different things. I have found that it's a more productive relationship because sometimes you can enter a, a situation and you can have an idea for how you think it might work. But if you're not getting progress using that idea, then you have to switch it up. And people who are flexible and open, that tends to, you know, that it, it tends to lend itself to better outcomes. So we told you before we got started that uh, Dr. Anders Ericsson was a, was a mentor to both of us and it was really the impetus for um, starting this podcast and, and exploring people's paths. And one of the enduring debates that he certainly was always interested in discussing was the role of nature versus nurture. And, you know, mm-hmm. are we born, you know, to do what we do or are we made and, and, you know, evolve it over time? So what are your thoughts on that? What do you attribute to each of those uh, options, I guess we could say? I think that um, I think nurture has has a lot to do with it. I think you aspire to what you see and to what you become and to what you're exposed to. And I think that um, 
you know, I look at someone like myself and I've gone farther in my career than my parents ever had and probably ever dreamed of. You know, I was talking to my father. I spent Father's Day with my dad and I was talking to him and he said, he was just, I was sharing with him some of the things that have happened in June. Like I said, June has <laughs> been a blockbuster month. And he was scratching his head and he said, you know, I, I don't know what to say. It's hard to believe that, you know, you could experience some of this stuff. And I think I've just been, I've just had so many different experiences that have helped to create the person that I am today. And a lot of that is nurture. So, yeah. So I would lean, I lean heavier on the nurture side. Uh, anything that we haven't asked that you'd like to share with the listener? I, um, I don't think so. I mean, you've asked, you've asked some really good questions. Oh, thank you. <laughs> well, I hope the, uh, the listeners will check out both of your books. The pre-order you said this is beginning in August. Yeah, the- Sure. The pre-order for First and Only, A Black Woman's Guide to Thriving begins on August 16th, and Extraordinary PR, Ordinary Budget is available now. The wrap-up question we always ask is, what is the biggest takeaway from your story? Thank you. Oh, I don't know. I mean, that's a really good question. What's the biggest takeaway? Um, I think never underestimate someone who's determined. Sage advice. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, never underestimate someone who refuses to quit and someone who's determined. And for me, you know, I faced a lot of a lot of difficult challenges, but I refuse to quit. You know, I may be down today, but tomorrow morning I'm waking up with a fight. And even if that fight is a a meager fight, you know, with like one fist, (laughs) (laughs) I'm still gonna do something that's going to get me closer than where I am today. That's great. Thank you so much for sharing that. I love Thank that last so part. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much, Jennifer. Thank you. Take care. The Path Distilled is hosted by Kevin Harris and Lauren Tashman, created and produced by Kevin Harris. The content is copyrighted by The Path Distilled, all right reserved. <laughs>